Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8, 9, and 10. When I read verses like this one, I realize that I just don't know God. I humanize him, bring him down to my level of understanding, which is what he did when he became the Word incarnate, praise the Lord. On my level, I get miffed and disheartened and impatient when he doesn't behave the way I expect him to. I have my own solutions for how the world's problems should be solved, beginning with my own family disputes. I pray for one solution, mine, the best one, of course, I think, and someone else is praying for their solution, theirs, the best one, of course, they think. How can God possibly answer both sets of prayers? Then I remember God is imminent, right there beside us, and all the omnis, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, everywhere at once, omniscient, all-knowing. Do you know anyone on earth who's all that? No, neither do I. God as creator has the whole picture of our lives. A thousand years is like a day. This tells us there's no such thing as time for God. We're part of the full picture and somehow God is with us and very personal as well, as well as being with everyone else in the world, personally too, able to answer all of our prayers. We are a part of the full picture and somehow God is with us and very personal as well as being with everyone in the world personally too able to answer all our prayers. He can see all things. He can do that puzzle where all the pieces look the same. He can weave and knit, blend and stir, mold and shape. No matter how clever I am, God's solution is always the best and always much better than anything I could have come up with. So let's give it up to the one to whom one day is like a thousand years. I can't come anywhere near, even in my wildest dreams. Can you? Don't fear the future. We are the beloved of the Lords. Hello, welcome to the Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny, and I'm here to dispel the preconceived ideas many have about what educating our children at home looks like. For some, it's straightforward school. For me, it suited the maverick that lurked within when I decided I didn't want to miss anything my children were doing by handing them over to folk who weren't their mother. So we mixed it up and shared our time between books and play. Either way I look at it, it's all learning. Over the years, I've spoken to a wide range of homeschooling mothers and fathers, from the secular to the missionary, the academic to the child-led. For us, schooling becomes a suffix for home, boat, biking, and the world. You name it, we can find educational opportunities anywhere. In my personal journey, I've used the tools God gave me to live my life fully. I've moved in and out of my comfort zones, children will do that for you, gaining insights and delights along the way, which I'm happy to share with you. With or without my children underfoot, my life is often ordinary, always busy, and sometimes frustrating. But for me, it starts and ends with God, the beauty of his creation, silence, a starry night, a rousing piece of music, or a simple hug. If you pop by, I'll offer you a glass of organic coffee and a chocolate digestive biscuits to tickle your taste buds and thank you for staying. But I understand if I don't see you, you're on that side and I'm here broadcasting from Turkey Creek in Florida. After the first break, I'll be talking to Calvin Jones, a homeschooling dad, who's going to be wrapping up the last in my series on careers by bringing tips and advice about his life as a renowned concert pianist. I'm all set, so grab whatever it is you're drinking and let me engage you with the latest and greatest from the household of the McNinnies, where we are thoroughly enjoying pastoral life, windy days every day, and still homeschooling. Are you ready? Before I started homeschooling, I thought having family time meant spending quality time with my children when my job allowed. 
the small amount of time I was with them had to count. So I'd read a book to them at bedtime, I'd sing a song with them in the car on the way to school, I'd watch a movie with them at the weekend, let them share my lap, I'd snuggle with them for a few minutes after bath time before I had to dash off to a meeting, or I'd drop them off at a birthday party. These precious moments of quality time went reasonably well as long as no one was ill or tired or crabby or jealous of the other siblings, or had simply had a bad day. The carefully scheduled quality time could just as easily be spent pouting or in time out, in tears or angry. Then, when I started homeschooling, I realised just how much time I hadn't spent with my children. I found I was now spending vast quantities of time, which sometimes turned into quality time, with them. I quickly discovered that the latter was spontaneous, surprising, unscheduled and unexpected. I also grew closer to my children. We rebuilt the relationships we had lost to the time spent at school, participating in extracurricular activities and doing mountains of homework. Sometimes I was a single parent when my blue-eyed cowboy's job demanded extensive and prolonged periods of travel away from home. After several consecutive weeks of being both mum and dad, I really began to feel as though I was going and going it alone. Of course, I had the steady income, which helped me feel financially secure, and I had the daily phone calls, which helped me feel supported, but I didn't have the warm and fuzzy feeling of knowing half the parental unit was going to walk through the front door any minute and relieve me every day. I met a single mother once who homeschooled her children. She taught piano lessons and art. When her children got older, they also gave private lessons to augment the household income or to give them some pocket money. I don't know. I wondered, how does she do it all by herself? In my ignorance, I presumed she had money from her late husband's estate or a good life insurance policy. And I didn't even know if she was a widow or not. You see, I was making a presumption. According to a survey, Mike Donnelly of Homeschool Legal Defence Association says widows represent only 8 to 10% of the single parents who homeschool. Other single parents fall into the categories of divorced or single, each with their own set of values. Some single parents live on less than $25,000 a year and they all have to manage the demands of providing for, protecting and educating their family. How do they do it? Well, single homeschool parents are creative. Mike Donnelly calls them walking miracles. They tutor, work from home, find weekend and nighttime jobs that can accommodate accommodate the daytime schedule of the homeschool. Some have supportive family, flexible jobs and ministering churches. Some don't. I know how difficult it is to balance a job and a family, so for a single parent, the incentive to keep their children out of the public and private school systems must be very strong. What is the incentive? Mike himself, a product of single parent family, found that school was difficult for a child whose parents were in the throes of divorce or who has suddenly had any kind of disruptive event occur that threatens their security at home. If the child is already being educated at home, then staying in the home school is the best thing that can happen to him, no matter how difficult it is to balance schedules. As we know, there's a closeness between the parent and the child that's in danger of being jeopardised by the number of hours spent under other people's supervision and direction. In the end, according to Mike, all the single homeschooling parents he has spoken to were glad they did it, and I'm glad we did it too. Well, there goes my text swoosh from Dorts about her coffee shop shift, and it's time for me to go on my first break. Before I go, I want to introduce you, though, to my upcoming guest, who's going to be rounding out my short series about careers. Calvin Jones is a homeschooling dad, concert pianist, composer, orchestrator, and producer. In the words of one critic, if brilliant piano performance could be likened to a painting, Calvin Jones routinely executes a musical Mona Lisa. Aggressively contemplative, Calvin's work is highly Accessible. His music incorporates classical and popular themes, and his performances seem to strip away the action of the piano, caressing the strings. Known for his hit, Whitewater Chopped Sticks, which propelled Teresa Scanlon to win the 2011 Miss America crown, Calvin has enjoyed a varied musical career. And when I spoke to him, he was touring Eurasia, performing with philharmonics to delighted audiences everywhere, while continuing to produce soundtracks and prepare his own new orchestral release. He chatted about his career over Skype from Ukraine, so replenish your drink and come back to hear my conversation with Calvin Jones. To send you on your way, here are a few moments from a live concert recording he gave last year in Odessa.
Mark Lipinski is coming to Toginet. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. A live two-hour show Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Creative Mojo. It's fun, entertaining, informative, inspirational, and illuminating. Lipinski has worked on such shows as Oprah, The View, The Joan Rivers Show, and Ricky Lake. He's busy, but he's got the drive to share with Creative Mojo, dedicated to the modern crafter and crafting lifestyle. Dive into the info and enjoy everything from celebs to entertainment news to recipes, quilting and needlework, knitting, painting, woodworking, Christmas crafts, and so much more. This show boldly encourages you to discover and harness your own creative spirit by living creatively every day. For more on Mark and the show, check out MarkLipinski.com. Don't miss the fun. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, Calvin, welcome to my show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Well, Calvin, first off, I know that what you do for your life involves travel so tell us where you are well right now i'm in kiev ukraine Mm -hmm. and uh as people i'm sure know it's been the topic of a lot of news uh lately here has um and i've been over here actually performing with philharmonics um and doing some work on soundtracks as well Mm -hmm. so what's it what is it actually like? I'm going to have to ask that question. Um, politically, you know, we're, we're seeing and hearing a lot of things um, about what's going on in Ukraine. How is it affecting what you're doing or are you seeing any effect at all? Well, in, in my particular case, um, I really see the providence of God just amazing in, in my life here. Um, for instance, some of the concerts I just recently finished here in, in February – um, in Uzgorod and Rivna. Um, those were the fifth and the seventh with some philharmonics there. Uh, had I done those and scheduled those two weeks later, they wouldn't have happened. Okay. Um, the government buildings were taken over and, and, and some of the radio and television um, was taken over. And so it's just, it's, it's, that's just the way it is over here. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, you know, I'm doing concerts really all over, branching out to all the FSU countries, and uh, and the way God worked it all out during the, um, the the most crazy time here in Kiev when bullets were actually flying, you know, from the snipers. Mm-hmm. I was out of the country for a week in Kyrgyzstan, um, in Bishkek, actually doing a concert with a the Philharmonic there. So I, I am just convinced that the best place and safest place to be is right in the center of God's will doing what he wants you to do. Right, right. Well, now tell us what you're what you're doing um with the Philharmonic Orchestras because nobody you know, you haven't mentioned uh, obviously you're playing an instrument what are you playing? Oh yes, well I'm I'm a pianist as well as a producer mm-hmm. um and I came over to Ukraine actually in in um May 2012 to do some work on uh, a movie soundtrack actually that I did for uh, 2016 Obama's America mm-hmm. and I came over here to do some recording with some philharmonics um, for some soundtrack work and well that turned into um, some performances um, at a a big festival here in, in one of the larger cities in Ukraine called Melnitsky. Um, and then that grew into other performances as other Philharmonics found out about me. So basically I have my music scored for piano and chamber orchestra, uh, strings and harp. And, um, it's, it's, it's been very well received. Uh, especially over here. So 
um, that has just kind of grown and taken on a life of its own at this point. Well, good. Well, let's go back to um, your your earliest memories of um, music. Did you come from a musical family? Is this something that you have always wanted to do? Well, actually, my two older sisters had been taking uh, piano lessons, mm-hmm. and I... Uh, saw that and heard that and, and I wanted to as well so I actually asked to take lessons when I was around six years old I believe and started uh, just playing piano and, and I think as is maybe typical I, I kind of got bored after you know a year or so of, of that and started improvising on my lessons and, and just having fun and started creating my own compositions mm-hmm. probably when I was around 10. Mm-hmm. And so my family, um, my mom and dad weren't especially musical. My, my father played the accordion for six weeks, I think is the uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the claim to our musical fame here. But um, they both loved music. My father being a pastor was was always had a wonderful voice leading you know the congregation singing and things so mm-hmm. it had a good ear but they, they had never done really anything with it us children mm-hmm. really had more of an opportunity than they did yeah and you when you went to school um did that intrude on your love of the piano or was that something that you could just do you did at home or did you do music at school as well I did. I actually took um, private lessons through my, my first year of college, and then I switched to a different college, um, went to Hillsdale College and finished up there. But um, I found the biggest um, place, um, that's not the right word, but the the, the, uh, the best thing that I could do to improve upon my musical abilities and gifts that God had given me was basically to get a key to the Steinway and practice on the weekends. Yeah. So yeah. I, I just, you know, spent my time actually doing it rather than learning how to do it. Yeah. Um, and I, I had, you know, obviously um, many, many lessons in theory before that, but the biggest thing was just, you know, putting in the time, um, and uh, from those compositional sessions each weekend, uh, my first uh, instrumental piece called Sunrise in the Rockies was composed, and even to this day, it's it's one of people's favorites, but, um, and that kind of got me started down that path. Mm-hmm. I had done, you know, some different compositions with bands and, and won some different talent shows and that type of thing, but um, that kind of put me into the, the solo piano uh, music market for a while, and um, I did uh, a number of things with that. I produced uh, my first album through High Places when I was a junior in college, and, um, and then continued to uh, uh, recording other albums as well as beginning to perform with that and um, and then that grew into other things as well mm-hmm. so when when you were at college and while you were at, at high school did you have jobs that were related to your music did you, did you actually go out and get yourself a job just to put yourself through college or was music your driving force and you were lucky enough to be able to <laughs> do that um and not have to do something else, you know, because some, sometimes people, you know, you just have to get your bread, you just have to make money to put a roof over your head, and it might not be possible doing doing the thing that you're passionate about. Right. Um, in my particular case, very soon, um, actually, I think my first professional gig was when I was like 16 years old. I played for some sheep herders convention, you know, um, and and didn't even know what to do. I just, I played some classical stuff and, and that type of thing, and, and people liked it or whatever, but um, when I got to college, you know, I ended up playing for all the president's balls and, you know, okay. and, 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 you know, his dinners and everything like that, and um and so it it all kind of worked that way. Um, 
I actually got pretty much a full ride um, to school <laughs> in the uh, uh, major of economics that I ended up going for. And so, <laughs> yeah, strange as it may seem, that's just, just that was what their strong suit was, and, and I always enjoyed it, and it was um, uh, Austrian free market economics. And so I ended up, that's just the way it worked in my particular case. Um, what it did, though, is gave me the time uh, and space uh, without a lot of the pressures, you know, of, of, of things that happen, you know, when you get married and you have children and all these things. It gave me the time and space to really develop um, in that creative atmosphere kind of. Yeah. You know so what I'm saying? So yes, yeah, so if you always so you've always been able to make a living with your music. Well, I wouldn't quite say that. I mean, early on I did other things after I got out of college. Um, you know, I worked at as an investment officer. I, I worked in different computer related fields, um, uh, programming some IT that kind of thing. But it was always you know, more let's keep it going type of thing wasn't the love of my life, you know, piano and, and writing and and, mm -hmm. and touring was really what I enjoyed more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as that built and, and then um, the, the, the other big factor was is just putting a number of things together in the music field. Um, so it wasn't just... Well, I'm just doing concerts. It was, it was, became doing soundtracks. You know, it became, you know, teaching private students lessons. It became, um, you know, developing a website and selling online and printing up and publishing and distributing sheet music and just a number of those things put together. You know, um, schools today, I know in England particularly, and I'm sure here, anything creative is being dropped because it gets in the way of the academics and all these testing, these tests that the children are being geared towards. Right. And, yet, and yet there has been research done and proof that playing the piano or any musical instrument and doing something creative and artistic actually helps the brain develop down those academic pathways. And it definitely sounds to me like, you know, you took economics at college and you you know can can dabble in programming a computer as well as being a financial um officer so you know it just it's, it's sort of like why why take out that creative part of education when it's so valuable yes that's really true i mean uh, there's as you said there's a number of scientific studies and and the data is is um, is out there that, you know, especially younger in life, people who um, receive training and, and, and spend some of their life in, in music and the arts uh, will develop more synapses in the brain, more connections. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just part of um, really a complete education in a person, you know, um, that's what I, I say all the time. It's just, you know, you look at something like chariots of fire or something like that, you know, I mean, here you've got all these guys that are competing in the Olympics and, you know, the weekends are doing barbershop, you know, it, it's just, yes. there's, there's always that musical element, um, that's part of, um, and really, it's it's more than just part of it. it's it's um, it's it's really kind of the sunshine of our lives. The arts are where we enjoy, um, and 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 God has given the arts for our enjoyment. Really, is the way to say it, right? Yes, that's right. And also, whatever you're doing in the arts, you don't have to be hugely successful at it. I wouldn't say I was a great artist, painter, or singer, but just doing something like that gives you gives you a great deal of satisfaction and it could be anything it could be your gardening it could be 
going out for a walk. It could be gently grooming your dog. <laughs> you know, this this right. this creativity doesn't have to be the music playing the piano. I think people get frightened and they say, "Oh no, I'm not creative." And yet, you look at their desk and how well organized it is, and you go, "Wow, right. I couldn't do that." <laughs> or a baker that can make you know cakes and and cookies and bread. You you know, and there are all of those talents can be listed as creative and, and I think people are just missing that because at school it's just it's either academic you know you do your math every day but who takes a dance class every single day right you know? right and and that's so true and and you know people who homeschool really experience even more of that because they have so many different jobs so many roles mm -hmm. you know to play mm -hmm. um, rather than being at, at some wage slave job at nine to five doing one particular thing. So you you just naturally do develop, I think, more creatively and, and you know, you want to teach your children that as well as you as you have them grow. Yeah. And you you say about a nine to five job and some some people feel secure in their nine to five jobs. There's nothing wrong with having a nine to five job. But if you're um, as you are a concert pianist and your schedule has you have to be flexible as you said you know you if if you'd been just two weeks later you wouldn't have been able to do that concert or maybe some of these concerts that um, are scheduled have been cancelled or moved and you're traveling a lot how how do you deal with that as a person is it something that you enjoy or is it something that you have to do in order to be able to do the thing that you love Um, I basically have come over here because of the music and the music has led me into a life of adventure really I mean it, it truly has um, but it was always um, it was always pursuing you know different things that I want to do or better said, given the opportunity to do, mm -hmm. you know, in the realm of music that has brought all of this into my life. So I, mean, I, I didn't like grow up thinking, well, boy, I, I want to travel the world and, and do concerts. No, I just, I was, I was, I got into music and I was creating songs that were captivating people and, and, and moving them. And then that turned into concerts. And then the next level was, okay, not just solo piano. Now we're going to do this with an entire orchestra, and people started, you know, just absolutely loving it. And and now I do, you know, the traveling is necessary, but I love it as well. It's mm -hmm. it's every day is an adventure. You know, mm -hmm. today I drove a car through Kiev. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you don't you don't have that added burden of taking your instrument along with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse, you know. It's, it's what are you going to get to play on for the next gig? But um, so it, it's it's it can be good, it can be not so good. But it's all it's all part of the deal, you know. And and uh, it's, you you have to be very flexible, very flexible doing what I do. Um, and yes, when when things are falling apart at the seams, um, you got to go out and, and deliver, you know, uh, a great show. So that's yeah. just the way it is. Yeah. Well, Calvin, uh, we have to go on a short break here. I'm talking to okay. Calvin Jones. He's currently in Ukraine, um, playing with some Philharmonics and uh, playing his piano. And we're going to be back in just a moment, and we're going to be talking about. Um, some of the highlights, some of the high points of his career. So we'll be back in just a moment. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. 
Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. What was the turning point, Calvin, in in your career? Well, the turning point probably I would I would say was um, when uh, Teresa Scanlon came to me, who was then Miss Nebraska. Um, I had gotten a phone call from a law firm in Los Angeles requesting clearance for um, performing my song Whitewater Chopsticks at the 2011 Miss America pageant Mm -hmm. and this obviously um, caused some curiosity on my part and and I said who is playing the song and I was told Miss Nebraska Mm -hmm. so I looked up who Miss Nebraska was and found Teresa and, and we discovered that we were a couple hours apart in terms of, of driving and so um, uh, she came down to Fort Collins uh, well that was what November 2010 and um, I spent an afternoon with her um, mentoring and in, in, in editing the song Whitewater Chopsticks for her and we finished that up and I told her to, to go home and practice and she did and, and just an amazing, an amazing turn of events, and, and she she took home the crown that year. Mm. Fantastic. So, um, what 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 did that lead to then? <laughs> well, it it didn't actually lead to it. It led obviously. I mean, we got swamped with orders for for a long time. We had a lot of publicity off of that, and and and, and lots lots of things happened, but. Kind of parallel to that same track, I'd been working with uh, Jim Hainan for about 20 years doing, you know, just soundtracks for 60-second commercials, TV and radio, that type of thing, and then um, and then short vision film type of pieces, five minutes, and then and then longer type of things. And um, I had just completed um, with him. Um, doing some of the soundtrack for an earlier documentary called Little Town of Bethlehem Mm -hmm. and so very soon after that I get this phone call um, from him to um, work on this new documentary that he had and I had no idea um, just even that I was working with you know the producer Gerald Mullen until about three months in I was uh, sending them tracks back and forth, and and they were just loving what I was doing. And and Jim said to me, by the way, um, he said he said one day to me, by the way, did you know you're working for Gerald Mullen? And I said, wow, you know, because Gerald Mullen was the producer of Schindler's List and, and Braveheart and and just a, a slew of different, um, very well known. Uh, blockbusters in Hollywood and so you know all of a sudden I'm doing a piece of music for this film and not even really understanding where it's going Mm. well in August 2012 they released it uh, and it it, it ended up being um, the highest grossing um, film uh, in, in the opening weekend and then it turned out to be the second highest grossing documentary in all history of like 36 million or something like yeah. this and, yeah. um, so just all these things started happening in my life and um, and then I got to pursue some more of my passion you know which was 
to um, to move into uh, performing with orchestras and and uh, taking my songs, which had had been powerful as as solo piano, but just way over the top as um, I was able to have an orchestra with me as well. So now that's what I'm getting to do as well as I'm um, mentoring two other people right now from America that are um, uh, entering pageants here this summer um, in Florida and Colorado. And of course, if they do well, then then, uh, they'll be going on to the Miss America as well. So there's a number of things like that that have um, have come with, with the territory, you might say. Yeah, yeah. Well, you sound as though you've been successful. So as a successful pianist and successful in the music industry, I know it isn't easy. What would you say to a child um, who, who is, is talented and maybe even has that star quality. Um, what what kind of advice would you give? Would you you know um, what what advice would you give? Um, for somebody entering music, it really is all about um, their ability to to compose, and that ability is going to be um, enhanced and. Um, it, it will come to the level that will be commercial and professional um, just based upon time and experience. Mm-hmm. So I would say start now. Mm-hmm. So whenever I am teaching students, that's one of the first things I do is I, I treat music differently. Many people have what I would say, um, you know, a lot of American music lessons are kind of like a bad English course. They teach you how to read. They don't teach you how to write. Yes. And so when I teach music, I teach it all simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So within, you know, a month uh, or two months after they're beginning to read their first notes, they're also learning to do ear training puzzles and improvisation work and then and then some composition in the first six months. So... I move them into that right away because um, it's just so important to start early. Yeah, and then be persistent. And if you if you have a student, which I'm sure you've got a lot of students who are good, but they just don't have that star quality. But they they really do want to be a part. They want music to be a part of their lives. Where would you Where would you direct them? How would you encourage them? Oh. Um, I would say there are different, you know, avenues. Um, for instance, of course, you know, teaching is 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 very important. We have a lot of need for those who know how to play an instrument or sing um, to pass on that. Especially those who are who are um, encouraging the creative aspect mm-hmm. of music. Um, um, there's there's work technically in music as well being you know those who are audio engineers those who are um you know doing live sound for for different events that type of thing so there's different um you know aspects of music that person can be involved with um whether they're a you know a performer or not yeah when you went to, went to college, you didn't get your degree in music, did you? No, I didn't. No. I have uh, I had my major actually was in economics, and my minor was in mathematics. Really, really, that is, that is just amazing. I mean, that just blows that theory out of the water, doesn't it? That, <laughs> well, you know, all of my children are very artistic, but you know, they're brilliant scientists as well. So it's just, where do these statistics come from? Where do these ideas come from that take the, take all the arts out of the schools because it's wasting their time? You know, being creative is not, doesn't really count. I go, oh dear. Yes. No, that's just, that's so ridiculous. Mistakes, Um, mistakes in your career. You look back and think, you know, is there something that you go, I wish I had done that or I wish I'd done that differently or? Wow. Um, 
I'll tell you one, really, I mean, probably the biggest um, thing that I even laugh about now was a good friend of mine, um, R.J. Miller, um, a friend of mine from Denver, actually, who is just a brilliant orchestrator. He actually orchestrated and, and got me started into that, um, orchestrating five of my songs uh, from solo piano into chamber. And um, back in 1993, he suggested, um, boy, you really need to take chopsticks and, and transcribe it to sheet music. And I said, what for? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we just, we can't, we, we can't, we can't print enough of that. We just sell even today so many pieces and copies. I don't know how many printings we've been through, but um, uh, and 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 other things too. There's um, he also suggested early on to um, orchestrate my songs, and and he offered to do it for free, you know, in in exchange for some things where he would come and be the guest conductor, and so there would be some remuneration in in different ways, but like oh why would anybody want that yeah Yeah. oh i was so so stupid so brain dead i just i didn't understand those things back in was that 93 95 that area um uh, but you know so yes you were sowing a seed (laughs) you didn't really realize yeah that's right right. so you talk about you talk about orchestrating let let me let's talk about that for a little bit um that means you take it from just like the basic whatever you've composed. Do you compose on your piano or do you compose straight onto paper? I never compose on paper. Okay. Uh, all my compositions are, are first on some piano or keyboard. Okay. And then they get transcribed. Right. So I'll transcribe them myself or if somebody's orchestrating, a lot of times they will do that as well. But um, I like to do it, then I end up with sheet music as well um, for people. But, yes, yeah, so you, you that's kind of the beginning of my process, depending on what you're doing, of course. Um, now when I'm doing different songs, some of which may not be um, beginning with the piano, you know, a lot of um, scores from movies and stuff like that, um, maybe more orchestral and less piano, that type of thing, and may have something else as a lead instrument, like a sitar, right? <laughs> um, so those types of things are a little bit different, but normally I'll start with a piano, and then we will build an arrangement from that, you know, first and second violins, violas and cellos, and then contrabass, and, um, and then that's where I usually start, um, and then... We'll fill it out with other instruments as well. So, do you, are you hearing these other parts when you're playing? You know, I usually kind of just—it's crazy how it, it comes. It just I'll just sit down and play an idea, and, and usually I'll start probably with mm, maybe a cello line or maybe a first violin, and 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 then that'll move into something else. And I'll, you know, I like a lot of dissonance and really beautiful chords and, and really thick um, type of arrangements. So that's kind of how it starts. And then, you know, we just develop it. It usually takes a while and we're editing it and we take out this, take out that and figure out, you know, how it's going to sound the best. But, you know, those are just a number of one of those areas, as, as we were talking about earlier, where you're not a performer, but you know, if, if you become an, a world-class orchestrator, you will have all the work you can handle. You'll be working for all the movies you can possibly handle. Right. Um, you know, there's so many things for people to do. So I, I actually think that, um, you know, really understanding orchestration well is just a gold mine. Um, you, you can't do that with a computer. You know, <laughs> just, no, no, it and, doesn't and how, happen. How important is it? to be able to play those other instruments that you're orchestrating for? Well, um, depends, you know, um, if you're orchestrating for, you know, brass, it's 
helpful to have played brass. Um, you know what they can do, and you know what it, what it will sound like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, a lot of times, other instruments, strings are actually quite a bit easier at. <clears throat> Oh, at, at a minimal level to orchestrate and score when you're doing really advanced level I, I actually let other people come in and, and do some more work on that because I don't know all the all the nuances of, yeah. of playing a violin yeah. but I, I was a trumpet player so I, you know the, yeah. I, I do know a lot of that but um, yeah I just you know you, the biggest thing is just to always work with people too and a lot of people don't understand the value of that um, and that's probably the other biggest problem with with artists today is they have a really big ego uh -huh. and that just is going to get you absolutely nowhere you need to you know kill that one really quickly and, and learn that when you put a team together of really talented people you will get such a superior product than trying to do it all yourself yeah. or you know, all this nonsense. Yeah. And so I look at some of the, the, the biggest hits right now on, on radio and billboard, stuff like that. And, you know, I'll see five or six writers on those things. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's really about finding really good people. I would far rather go into a studio, creative person, the person who's, who's going to give me something other than another studio voice. Mm -hmm. um, I'm looking for somebody. I, I will I will intentionally go into the studio and either give them a part, for instance, that will show them what line to sing rather than writing it all out for them. Because if I'm working with somebody creative, they'll say, well, you know, the line's pretty good here, but it really should do this, or it really should do that. Mm -hmm. And if they know what they're doing, they know far better than I do. Yeah. Um, so I, I just want to work with, you know, I've worked with like Carrie Livgren of Kansas, who, you know, one take on the guitar is just monster perfect. Um, and so the really successful producers and rangers and those kind of people and musicians surround themselves with great people. That's that's another little secret I'm gonna yeah. let out of the bag today. Yeah. Well that's that that's great information and and, and you found that out yes. at the beginning of your career or later <laughs> on when you when you started doing yeah, when you finally listened to um R.J. Miller and started to orchestrate. <laughs> That's when you found out. Right? I, I wish I had. I wish I had known that earlier. You know, I just being from South Dakota, uh, I didn't have, you know, the the quality of musicians that uh, I really wanted to collaborate okay. with. Uh, and so earlier on in my career, all I really knew how to do was solo piano. That's what I could do. That's what I could control. Um, and I knew what was going to happen on stage and, and in the recording studio with that system. So that's where I was at. Um, but later on, as I started finding out some other people and, and traveling and, and, you know, going to L.A. and Denver and, and different places, and, and then I saw the value, you know, slowly on and, and really working with yeah. a team. Yeah. Well, Calvin, we've come to the end of our time. It's been an absolute delight talking to you. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, well, thank you, thank you so much for um, sharing uh, your your evening, the early part of your evening. Do you have a concert tonight? I actually don't tonight. I'm I'm preparing right now for uh, a number of dates in Russia mm -hmm. um, that we're going to be doing in May, and so I. Never been to Russia yet, so that'll be another first on my list of adventures. Well, good. Well, good. Well, Calvin, thank you once again. And um, I was talking to Calvin Jones, and uh, we were talking about his career as a pianist and orchestrator, composer, teacher, performer. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. And you have, you have a wonderful rest of your week and a wonderful rest of your tour. Thank you, Vivian, so much for having me. Look forward to it. Doing another time with you. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye now. 
How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. I've been talking to Calvin Jones about his fascinating career as a concert pianist, composer, orchestrator, and producer. I hope you enjoyed the music too and have been encouraged to go to his website linked on The Sociable Homeschooler and also on my Toginet page to buy his recordings. Calvin's work is highly accessible. His music incorporates classical and popular themes. Known for his hit, Whitewater Chopped Sticks, which propelled Teresa Scanlon to win the 2011 Miss America crown, Calvin has enjoyed a varied musical career. His five releases, Through High Places, 1987, Coming Home, 1990, Uncharted Waters, 1993, Acoustic Passion, 2005, and Dueling Pianos, 2012, on Sony Records, have won him international acclaim. You heard Calvin talking to me during his tour in Eurasia, where he was performing with Philharmonics to delighted audiences everywhere, while continuing to produce soundtracks and prepare his new orchestral release. This wraps up my short series on careers. You can go to my website and listen to the other three, starting with Carol Top in May, who told us about engineering, accounting and writing, Andre Constantinescu, who enthralled us with his career in the film industry, and Dawn Franks, who unfolded what it meant to be a philanthropist and how to make a career out of giving back to mankind. You can also find other career-related shows on my site in the search bar. Once a homeschooler, always a homeschooler. It's a lifestyle and a way of thinking, an attitude and family glue. Homeschoolers, unschoolers, crunchy or traditional, refer to themselves in the present tense. We are homeschoolers, they say, and how true. It's a club, an exclusive one to which only 4% of the school-age population subscribe, but many, many more if you start adding in the alumni. We still belong to the homeschooling movement. You heard my guest last month, Carol Top, tell how she homeschooled herself to take her CPA exams. Whenever we teach ourselves something, how to podcast, give a speech, write a book, change the oil in our car, oops, my husband does that for me, we're self-schooling, another prefix for school. Take heart, all of you who are rapidly losing your children to higher education and the workforce. We're still homeschoolers at heart, even after our children stop needing us. Wait a minute, did I say even after our children stop needing us? When do they ever not need us? I'm convinced that unless we do something drastic, my husband and I will be at the beck and call of our children forever, or at least available to them whenever we feel we want to be. In the midst of empty nest, those frantic calls for help are indisputable signs that they need us, and the calls aren't always from their bedrooms. When they were little and helpless, we ran to them unthinkingly. They needed us. They really couldn't do anything except sleep, eat, poop, and cry. They soon had us hooked around their little fingers, and by the time they were toddling and talking and getting themselves dressed and feeding themselves without too much mess and not knocking over the milk quite so frequently, we really didn't know how else to act around them except to help them willingly in our quest to grow them into upright young citizens. My son, the zookeeper now turned waiter, also married, did not talk until he was three. That's hard to imagine when I consider how much he can talk now. He and I were commenting on his silence just the other day while looking at the adorable baby photos we were sorting through. He said, 
I was training you. And I think that's what babies do, secretly train us. He was training me to get to know what he wanted using only non-verbal clues. Luckily, I'm good at that. And he had a little sister who was a talkaholic and took great joy in speaking for him. In fact, at the zoo, my son and his fellow keepers trained the animals using a target, which was a large piece of wood with another piece of wood attached to the end of it, rather like a crossing guard stop sign, only smaller. They'd use simple commands to get the animals to do what they wanted it to do, whether it was an elephant or a deer or a monkey or a zebra. They they were being trained to present a part of their body for inspection. The elephants, for example, have been trained to lift their feet up for hoof trimming and filing, and the zebras turn face about so that, they can, so that, so that a shot can be administered in their flank without having to catch and hold them down. The training is subtle, the animal is oblivious, food is the motivator, the classic Pavlov response. And our motivator, as well-trained parents is, well, maybe behaved, well-behaved children who turn into upstanding members of society and treat us with respect and will choose a nice nursing home for us when we have relinquished our independence. Well, that's all I have for this week. I hope you enjoyed the chat and the music. There's more coming up at the end of this little bit. Perhaps an avocado will be ready soon. I can't wait to try one. We may travel down to the dog beach in Fort Myers this weekend if we can get Freon in the Jeep. It's too hot and too far to drive with just the windows open. Thank you for listening to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny, and I'll be back same time, same place next Friday, which is the 4th of July. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children, who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at Toginet Radio, my producer Sabrina, my guest Calvin Jones, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Joel, Anne, Rosemary, Kathleen, Esme, Millicent, Margaret, Jacob, Walter, Jane, Olivia, Tina, and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience. Stay tuned all the time and catch lots of great shows to help you through your day. Take care and be safe. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Doop, doop, doop. And before I close my show, here are a couple more minutes of Calvin Jones on piano, live in Odessa, last October.